0: Welcome to the Modern Merrowman Podcast with Tom Hicks and John DeVito. Modern Merrowman is a podcast on the Man of God Network brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. We're hosting a weekly conversation on the law and the gospel so that church leaders and Christian laypeople will rightly divide the word of truth. Well, Tom, it's good to be with you again.
1: It's great to be back, brother.
0: Well, here we are after spending several episodes looking at the law and then considering the gospel. But I thought it would be helpful for us now to speak of how they relate to one another. What is the relationship between the law and the gospel? And, and to even start, I think it's important for us to, to say recognize how central this distinction has been in the reformed tradition. Uh, you know, one of my uh, go-to's for uh, Christian ministry, as a pastor, is Charles Bridges' classic work uh, on on the Christian ministry, and uh, he has an entire chapter devoted to this, uh, and in that chapter, when he speaks of the importance of the Christian minister, you know, rightly dividing the word of truth, uh, Bridges writes, this revelation is divided into two parts, the law and the gospel, essentially distinct from each other though so intimately connected that an accurate knowledge of neither can be obtained without the other the preaching of the law is therefore a main part of our subject we shall consider it separately and in its connection with the gospel and he continues on into his sections but it's it's when bridges says there that they are essentially distinct from each other and yet so intimately connected that we must understand and have a knowledge of both. And uh that that those are strong words. Yes, they are.
1: Um, it's it's essential. And you know, you're thinking about if you're thinking about the historic understanding of law and gospel, this was not a secondary matter to them. Mm. It was essential. Without this understanding of the distinction and the relationship between the law and the gospel, there would have been no Protestant Reformation. Mm. I mean, it is it is that fundamental. And I think we've lost a lot of it today, but I just want to read you a couple of Passages uh, from historic figures who held to the law and the gospel. Um, John Cahoon, who was a Merrowman, wrote this in his treatise on the law and the gospel. He said, The immediate design of the following treatise is to promote conviction of sin and misery in the consciences of sinners and true holiness in the hearts and lives of the saints. There can be no evangelical holiness either of heart or of life, unless it proceeds from faith, working by love, and no true faith, either of the law or of the gospel, unless the leading distinctions between the one and the other are spiritually discerned. Though in the eternal dispensation of the covenant of grace, the law and the gospel are set before us as one undivided system, yet an immutable line of distinction is drawn between them. So that the works of the law cannot pass over to the gospel as a proper condition of the blessings promised in it, nor can the grace of the gospel pass over to the law as a recompense for the works of men therein prescribed. So he's saying you can't mix them. You shouldn't add law to gospel or gospel to law. Then he says, it talks about the consequences of this. He says, to blend or confound them has been a fatal source of error in the Christian church and has embarrassed many believers, not a little in their exercise of faith and practice of holiness. Troubled consciences cannot ordinarily be quieted unless the doctrine of the gospel is rightly distinguished from that of the law. Mm-hmm. So there uh, Cahoon is really just laying out the issue, showing why it's so important and what the goal of holding this law gospel distinction is. Uh, but
0: not and only- uh, such an important figure uh, in terms of the Marrow men. Uh, his, that the, the very book you referenced on uh, the lectures or the the treatise on the law and the gospel, uh, yeah. it was just so helpful in my own studies and reading and understanding these yeah. matters.
1: Yeah, I think of it as the most systematic treatment of their doctrine. So all the Marrow hmm. men held this, and really the Marrow theology is just. I mean, if you go back, to the original theology of the Reformation. It has the same spirit in it. They were clarifying a few things, but I, I believe it's the best of the Reformed and confessional tradition hmm. of the theology. But another great uh, historical figure, the English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon, wrote this about law and gospel. He said, There is no point upon which men make greater mistakes than upon the relationship which exists between the law and the gospel. Some men put the law instead of the gospel. Others put the gospel instead of the law. Some modify the law and the gospel and preach neither law nor gospel. And others entirely abrogate the law by bringing in the gospel. And then he says, a certain class maintain that the law and the gospel are mixed and partly by observance of the law and partly by God's grace, men are saved. These men understand not the truth and are false teachers. That's how strong Spurgeon is about the importance of getting this distinction right, that if you blend them, mix them, or substitute one for the other, you're a false teacher. And it's because you destroy them. You destroy both law and gospel by substituting them or blending them together. So it's very important to understand uh, this distinction and relationship between law and gospel.
0: So how, how, do, how do you think we get to the point where this is you know foundational, reformed thought, And yet today, this is almost seen as optional or unnecessarily divisive. Uh, I I remember several years ago, uh, a pastor friend that I I know and and still love in many ways, but just said he didn't like to get in this law gospel issues because it it was hard to understand. It was divisive. It it wasn't helpful in his view. Uh, And and I, I remember just Um, being amazed at at how flippant he was towards this whole question. Uh, How how do we get from, from this kind of robust theological formulation and discussion to, to the point where uh, these, these things are, you know, we don't, we don't have modern systematic treatments on the law and the gospel very much anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and so how, how, how do you think this, this has happened?
1: you know, I think it's probably, it's a complicated issue. There's probably all yeah. sorts of factors and so reducing yeah. it would be hard. But as I think about it, sort of the battleground shifted, you know, when the church was engaged with Rome on the issue of the gospel at the time of the Protestant reformation, this understanding of law gospel was clearly articulated. It was strong and held to, uh, but with, you know, the the rise of higher criticism mm-hmm. out of Germany Uh, evolutionary theory, Darwinianism, the church began to shift its focus more toward fighting against just straight up unbelief and attacks on the scriptures. Hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, the nuance, the care of the theological distinctiveness fell out during those years. They were just trying to hold on to some of the basics of the faith. And you add to that another factor is some of the older literature just wasn't available. Yeah. You know, that, that people didn't have their, didn't have their hands on, older texts. And so as time progressed, they just didn't have uh, the older way of articulating these things. But today we have access to a lot of that older material. Mm-hmm. and see what our forefathers taught about these things. And um, I think we're finally getting back to a place where we can recover or resource a lot of the older teaching right. uh, um, uh, from our church fathers.
0: One, one of the great blessings I'm finding in the last uh, number of years in terms of uh, just Scholarship and advancement of technology has been the retrieval of so much uh, theological wisdom that has taken place through the history of the church that we've all too often lost uh, through, you say, whether it's through historical circumstance or whether it's kind of in a move towards pragmatism uh, and, and, you know, thinking of in terms of what works and application yeah. rather than. Uh, you know, up, upholding these truths and passing them on from generation to generation. Yeah. That's uh, so another
1: huge factor here is yeah. the pragmatic, you know, the business model of the church, you know, buildings, budgets, and baptisms mm-hmm. as, opposed, <laughs> as, a pro- as opposed to accurate theology yeah. and theologically rooted ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and Spurgeon even fought that of course, in his day with the downgrade controversy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we continue to see that uh, today. Well, if, if this distinction then is is foundational, as we recognize, and as, as uh, we've come to even discuss as we looked at the law and the gospel over uh, the, the last several episodes, uh, what then, as we consider, how is the law opposed to the gospel? If we must distinguish, there's there's an opposition that must be maintained uh, in, in that distinction. So we build on that for a minute.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um- So when we talk about the way that the law and the gospel are opposed or different, we need to make make sure we understand what we mean by law and gospel. Yeah. So the contrast between the law and the gospel is a contrast between the law as a covenant of works and the gospel, strictly speaking as Mm -hmm. a covenant of redemption. So we're not talking here about the law as a standard in the covenant of grace,
0: Right.
1: you know, the, 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 the relationship between law and gospel in the covenant of grace is a continuum
0: or even the law as a guide in a guide. the new covenant or, or, or the covenant of grace. Right. So we're, we're so to emphasize that, because that's if so we're not, key, we're talking about the law's covenant as a
1: covenant of works, of,
0: and then a gospel strictly or uh, narrowly speaking, there's As this contrast. Right. We're yeah.
1: contrasting really what we're contrasting is the work of Adam and the work of Christ,
0: mm. you know, yeah,
1: the two federal heads, uh, the two major covenants, covenant of works, covenant of redemption. And so I'm relying on John Cahoon here for this list of contrast between law and gospel. Uh, but he, uh, and it's my own language. So I have to own any differences between him and me, but I've, I've drawn a lot of this from John Cahoon's book, but first he says that people know the law partly by the light of nature, but people only know the gospel by covenantal revelation from God. So, in other words, the work of the moral law is written on the hearts of all men and people know by nature what God requires. No one needs to tell them. I mean, you know, you know not to murder, not to steal. You know you owe the one true God your love and your worship. You know that. But people can only know Christ and the cross and the resurrection through special revelation, the promises of the Old Testament and their full establishment in the New Covenant. The Bible teaches us the gospel. So that's the first difference between law and gospel, or mm-hmm. contrast. A second contrast between law and gospel is that God made the law as a covenant with human beings who had the ability to perfectly obey the law. So the law as a covenant requires perfect obedience and love to God and love to our neighbors. And Adam had the ability to do that. Adam and Eve did. They were made in God's image. They had the natural capacity to do it. But the gospel, strictly speaking, considers us as sinners who are condemned to death and, and have no strength at all to obey God's law, even in the smallest degree. And so the gospel, in its strict sense, declares what God has done in Christ to save us from our sins. Mm. To summarize this, the law is a covenant, assumes we have the ability to obey it. The gospel covenant of redemption assumes we have no ability to obey the law whatsoever. Mm. That's the second major contrast between law and gospel. Third, uh, the good law covenant shows what kind of people we should be. What a holy life looks like and what it looks like to love God and to love others. But the law as a covenant does not show sinners how they can ever become holy, loving or good. The gospel, on the other hand, strictly speaking, is the means by which sinners can be redeemed and become lovers of God and lovers of men. So the gospel teaches us how to be made holy by union and communion with Jesus based on his perfect righteousness for us. So to summarize that, Uh, The law covenant shows us what holy love looks like, but gives us no power to become holy or loving.
0: Hmm.
1: But the gospel covenant of redemption gives us the means by which we can become people who have a holy love for God and a holy love for others. So that's the third major contrast. Uh, The fourth major contrast is that the promises of the law covenant of works and the gospel covenant of redemption differ greatly. So the promises themselves differ, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, but the law says, do this and you will live. So you have to perform perfect personal and perpetual obedience to have the right to eternal life in the law covenant of works. But the gospel covenant of redemption says, live for life is already, for all is already done. Mm. All the righteousness, meritoriousness of eternal life for God's people is already fulfilled by Jesus Christ, the wonderful surety, savior, and head. Hmm. That's what the gospel covenant of redemption says. You know, you might think, well, were the were God's people even a party in the covenant of redemption? It was just between the Father and the Son. And it's true that the elect were not a party in that covenant, thank God, because then we'd have to do what Jesus did, you know? Hmm. And yet we, the blessings that God gives to Christ, have direct relation to us. So what what was Christ's reward? It was a total redemption of the elect people. of God. And so God made this eternal covenant of redemption between the father, the son, and the spirit and the elect in Christ, Mm. but only as we are in him. And so that
0: that foundational unity that, that, that comes through the uh, the union with Christ that we need to always everything, (laughs) everything comes through uh, this union we have. Amen but with Christ.
1: And so to summarize that fourth point, the the law as a covenant promises the right to eternal life based on your works. Hmm. The gospel as a covenant of redemption promises you the right to eternal life based solely on Christ's works. Hmm. So there's the fourth contrast, the fifth contrast between law and gospel is this that the way of justification is different under the law as a covenant and the gospel as a covenant of redemption. So under the law as a covenant of works, you have to obey God's commandments in order to be justified before God. But under the gospel, as a covenant of redemption, Christ perfectly obeyed God's commandments for your justification. And he promises justification to all who simply believe in him. So under the law, you obey perfectly for your justification. Under the gospel, Christ uh, obeyed perfectly for the justification of all who believe. And then there's a sixth contrast. Uh, which is that the condemning power of the law is different from the gospel. Mm -hmm. So the law condemns sinners and cannot justify them. But the gospel justifies sinners and cannot condemn them. Mm -hmm. So all the threats of eternal condemnation come from the law as a covenant of works. And all who are in Adam under his federal headship are condemned to hell for their sins. But the gospel as a covenant of redemption Issues no condemnations at all in that covenant. Christ was condemned as our substitute and surety, which means that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Which is Romans chapter eight. Yeah, if we're in Christ, there are no there is no condemnation for us. There are no threats of condemnation because Jesus has satisfied the curse of the law. He's canceled the curse. That's mm. what he did as a federal head of the covenant of grace. Mm. So, those are the base, Some of the basic differences between law and gospel.
0: I mean, what what a there's there's a lot there we could unpack <laughs> to try and think through here, uh, but but uh, such an important uh, distinction, uh, really coming down then to uh, the gospel and our uh, salvation uh, that that Cahoon there makes. Uh, so incredibly clear uh, and, and these two opposite ways of living uh, in Adam uh, Mm -hmm. or in Christ. Right. Uh, And that's of course is rooted in uh, Romans five and, and uh, first Corinthians 15 and and many other places. Uh, But, but again, this, these are biblical truths that are being formulated and and systematized and organized in, in such a way for us to, to recognize these things and to embrace these truths and, and teach them. And, and so, you know, I, I know that in my own life, this has been incredibly freeing to have a clear understanding of uh, and, and to have a proper understanding of uh, the, the law and, and the goodness of the laws as a guide, but yet being free from the law as a covenant that I must keep in order to uh, you know, please God or, or uh, enter into his favor, right? Whereas with with the, the gospel, it's a mere uh, embracing of Christ, a, a, a resting in his work that uh, gives me the... The, all of those benefits Amen. that come uh, that come through the that that eternal covenant that God, uh, the Father, God the, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made, uh, and 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 how much in awe this all leaves me. Then I mean, it, it, it doesn't. Th- there's nothing in me <laughs> uh, that that can explain this, but it's out of a a love that is unfathomable. Mm-hmm. that uh, you know uh, that that in which I'm saved and, and that I can find my hope uh, so firmly rooted in the work of Christ so and in in maybe building on that uh, ways that that as this has become clearer to you it's uh, been helpful in terms of your own life and your own ministry
1: yeah well I mean it affects everything yeah. You know? You know, I mean, it affects how you preach. It affects how you minister to your own soul with the word of God. Mm. Uh, It affects how you think, how you try to grow as a Christian. And, you know, fundamentally, is it, do, am I trying to, to repent, to grow, to become more like Jesus so that God will accept me, Mm. forgive me and give me righteousness, Mm. or am I repenting? Am I trusting the Lord? Am I trying to grow in love to God and love to others because I'm already accepted? Because He's loved me, because He's given me His righteousness. Yeah. You know, and and so it's, you know, it's the love of Christ that controls us according to Corinthians. You know, the love of Christ constrains us to know the love of God, which is not just a sentiment, but he loved us that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. He's loved us that he's given himself to us and life eternal to us. He's loved us uh, in every way. And so on the basis of his love then and of his great grace toward us, then we have strength and power to repent and to grow as Christians and to become more conformed to the likeness of Jesus And so, you know, it's kind of, you know, if you sin, what, how do you handle yourself when you sin, you can beat yourself over the head for it. And you can say, I need to really get it straight because if I don't, you know, God's uh, wrath is going to come upon me. And you may not, you may know a better theology than to say that. But sometimes, even if we have the right theology that we would never say that out loud in our hearts and in our minds, secretly, we're thinking that God is opposed to us. Yeah. Unless we can do enough right things to be in his good graces. Mm. Uh, But the gospel says, no, that you're accepted because of Jesus fully. And on the Mm. basis of his free and full acceptance, you actually have strength then uh, to grow. It doesn't make you sluggish to know how much God loves you. It's not what the Bible teaches. It Mm. doesn't make you sluggish to understand uh, the fullness of what Christ accomplished in his work and his death and his resurrection. Uh, Instead, that's what gives us strength to go on.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, you know, as we uh, consider these things, I want to encourage people to uh, get a copy of uh, Cahoon. Now, uh, it it might take you a little bit because it's not pronounced as it's spelled, or at least not uh, as I see it spelled. So uh, to be clear, uh, John Cahoon, his last name is C-O-L-Q-U-H-O-U-N. Cahoon. (laughs) And, uh, but, but, uh, a book we, we failed to mention when we talked about uh, repentance, his book on repentance is well worth, uh, reading and, and rereading and, and, and understanding about uh, some of the things that we've previously discussed. But again, his, uh, book, A Treatise on the Law and the Gospel, uh, if you can find a copy of that, it is worth its weight in gold. Uh, and, and it's been such a helpful work for my own soul and to benefit my own ministry.
1: And I just want to jump in and add a couple yeah. others, because we've talked yeah. a lot about these covenants. <clears throat> Some yeah. people are wondering, what's the biblical foundation for all that, and where are they yeah. getting this? So they're just reading it at the end of the Bible. Well, Richard Barcelos has written, I think, the best book today on the covenant of works. It's Getting mm-hmm. the Garden Right. So if you're curious about the exegetical foundation for the covenant of works, get that book. I think it's very solid in there. So Getting the Garden Right by Richard Barcelos. Also, J.V. Fesco has a book on the covenant of redemption which is very good. And so I, I recommend getting that book and uh, he's got all the exegetical foundation for the covenant of redemption there.
0: Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of uh, book, uh, book recommendations from us, And uh, but we're a people who read other books so we can understand uh, God's book uh, more fully. And these are helpful resources that we'd encourage you to check out. I want to thank you for listening to the Modern Merriman podcast on the Man of God Network, brought to you by Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary. If you'd like to know more about CBTS, please visit us online at cbtseminary.org. That's cbtseminary.org.